The 2023 Farm Bill will be here before you know it, and organizations are ramping up efforts to talk to lawmakers. One of those organizations is the National Young Farmers Coalition, and they want to hear from you about what you want to see in the next Farm Bill. Hi there, I'm Chris Torres, and welcome to the Young Farmer Podcast. On today's episode, Carolina Mueller of the National Young Farmers Coalition talks about the National Young Farmers Survey that closes on March 27th. The coalition wants 10,000 young farmers to take the survey to have their voices heard loud and clear as lawmakers begin negotiations on the next Farm Bill. She talks about the impacts the previous survey had on the 2018 Farm Bill and what young farmers see as the biggest challenges and opportunities to make it in agriculture. Okay, so this morning on the Young Farmer Podcast, we have a very special guest, and her name is Carolina Carolina Mueller, excuse me, and she is talking to us from Austin, Texas, and she is with the National Young Farmers Coalition. Carolina, how are you today? Hey, I'm great, Chris. We're having a we're having a blast today already. We are um, having a blast. This morning. We are having a blast. We are having a blast, and it's going to come out in the greatest hits compilation I'm going to put out of <laughs> some of the screw-ups we just had on this on this recording here. Um well, Carolina, again, it's very nice to have you here on the podcast, and uh, you know, I I, uh, I love the fact you know we are having fun here, but there is something serious coming up, and uh, there's a deadline coming up later this month, and it is for the National Young Farmer Survey, and you work very closely with that. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you so much, and thanks for having us on to spread the word about it. Um, so, like you said, the National Young Farmer Survey is closing. The date to close is March 27 at midnight Pacific Standard Time. So we are um, definitely in the last couple of weeks, which is exciting. And this is the third time that we have put out this survey into the world. Um, The first time was in 2011, then 2017, and then now 2022. And the reason for that timing being approximately every five years is that this is in alignment with the farm bill. So the next farm bill is coming uh, out in 2023. And so what this survey does is one, it gets a snapshot of what the state of agriculture is for young and BIPOC farmers now, so that's black, indigenous and people of color. And we also help it to set our um, advocacy and policy setting agenda for the farm bill. So it kind of serves a couple of different purposes. Interesting. How many respondents on average do you get for this survey? Every time we put it out, we have pushed ourselves to increase our reach. So last year we received just over 7,000 responses total. This year, our goal is 10,000 responses and we are actually almost there. We are at uh, over 7,000 responses as of right now. And so that 10,000 is so close that I can taste it. And I just know that we can get there. That's wonderful. And is this done all online or can you actually do it? You know, is there a paper copy that you can do? I mean, how can people participate? Yes. At the moment, we just have it available online. So the easiest way to get to it would be to go to youngfarmers.org. Um, or to find us at Young Farmers on Instagram or Facebook, and we have everything linked there. And so it should take, for folks who are um, currently farming, who maybe are farm owners, who maybe have some staff, it's going to take maybe 35 or 40 minutes to answer all of the questions. 
Um, but if you are someone who's just getting into farming now, you want to farm, we're looking at about seven minutes. So it really depends on what path people are at. And um, we were really, really mindful to make sure that when we created these questions and when we created this survey, we were taking into consideration just the all of the different ways that people interact with agriculture, right? So this year we added um, an opportunity for folks who are farming, but maybe not for income to be able to share their experiences and so that we can get a sense of, um, you know, the contributions that they're making in their community as well. Sure. And, you know, you know, anyone who isn't farming has like an idea, one single idea of what a farm is when they picture it in their mind. Um, but anyone who's actually farmed knows that every farm is so unique and every person who is in who is in farming is is so different, right? We have folks who are multi-generational farmers, we have first generation farmers, that looks very different. We have people on thousands of acres, we have people on a quarter of an acre. And so um, so it's really hard to make a survey that captures all of those different options, but we, we worked really hard to try and get there. Sure. That's sort of like what you just said is sort of a snapshot of what it's like here in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Well, you're originally from New Jersey, so well, you're originally from Germany, excuse me, but you grew <laughs> up in New Jersey, if I understand, right? If I, if I get yeah. that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, yeah. so you sort of, you know what it's like up here in the Northeast and the Mid-Atlantic where I'm from, where it's, you know, sort of a hodgepodge of of farming, you know, you have a lot of dairy farms, you have a lot of grain farms, you have a lot of vegetable farms, fruit farms, and of all different sizes. So um, that's really fascinating. Well, yeah, you know, it's right. it, it's interesting. You know, again, the the survey runs sort of like coincides with with uh, with the upcoming farm bill. You know, can you point to some what what sort of impact do you have you seen this survey actually have? Can you point to some things that came out of the last survey that you were able to either get into the, the, the current farm bill we have right now or get into some later legislation? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I know that uh, taking a survey doesn't seem like the most exciting or the most like, um, maybe not doesn't feel like it when you're clicking through all of these questions, like you're really making a difference. Um, but one person's data might not be enough to move the needle. But when we're talking about 10 thousand responses, that makes legislators listen. So the kinds of wins that we were able to get in the past farm bills included a permanent USDA microloan program that was designed for young farmers. We got historic funding for beginning farmer rancher training um, to outreach to socially disadvantaged farmers. We also were able to set up a beginning farmer and rancher coordinator in every state. And increase the loan limit for USDA's farm ownership loans. So these are some pretty historic wins and we wouldn't have been able to do that without all of the responses that we got in the 2017 survey. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting about that, you know, what's really fascinating about that is that these are, these are things that, you know, really touch young farmers and, and other farmers, you know, on an almost everyday basis. I mean, the fact that, you know, they're able to, to, to get a micro loan, you know, if they, if that's what they need, or, you know, if they need to get in chart, if they need to get a hold of somebody who specializes in, in beginning farmers and topics that relate to them from the USDA in their state, they're able to do that now. So, so really, you know, some, some great practical things that, that you were able to achieve for, for, uh, for young farmers. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. And, you know, it's only one of the ways that we are 
doing this work, right? So um, the the data is is one way that we can inform our decisions. But then that was partnered with a fly-in and a lobbying day that we did um, back in 2017 and 2018, I was a chapter leader in for the Central Texas chapter. And so we were flown out to Washington DC and got a chance to meet with some of our legislators directly and tell our story of our farmers and what it's like for us as young and beginning farmers um, and, and have you know that face-to-face -face conversation with either the legislator themselves or with their staffers. And, and so this kind of allows us to marry um, the information and also the stories of what the experience is like. And so that's, it's a very, um, it helps us paint a bigger picture sure. and that helps us be more successful. Sure. Absolutely. Can you share with us some of the insights, you know, some of the things that, that you actually, um, you know, from the last survey some insights you got from that. I mean, one thing that one thing that I actually saw, and it's not surprising. Um, and let me just bring this up on my on my computer because I have sort of like the the basic uh, breakdown of this, and just uh, um, what was really interesting and was not surprising was um, land availability and affordability was actually the number one issue on the minds of of young farmers. Um, can you talk a little about that and some of the other things that you that you actually got from from the last survey? Yeah, uh, that was by and large the number one challenge that farmers identified as a barrier to being able to farm for a living. I don't think that's going to change this year, and in fact, I have a suspicion that it might have gotten worse since our last survey. Unfortunately, right because. We had, we had considered asking some specific questions around COVID, but the fact is that we are in, like everything has changed, right? And land grabbing is one of those things that has really increased. So people are getting more and more priced out. Um, very wealthy folks who are not in agriculture are purchasing land as an investment. And so, you know, what is a young farmer going to do to compete with a developer or an investment firm or something like that. It's just not possible. And so, um, yeah, we, we anticipate that that's going to continue being a challenge. Uh, we're probably also going to see an increase in the challenge related to water access. We've been seeing some droughts in the last five years that have really impacted farmers that, you know, we're hearing those stories. Um, Another really interesting finding is that a majority of our respondents in 2017 were identified as women. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very uh, different finding than the USC Ag Census has. And so we're looking at young farmers and seeing that maybe, yeah, it's it's mostly, it's like it's starting to change. We're also seeing that 75% of people responded last time did not grow up on a farm and that really resonates with me personally because although my grandmother in Germany grew up on a farm um, my father didn't even garden <laughs> you know like I didn't get into it until I was in my late teens early 20s and I think that's a very common story and it presents very unique challenges right because sure. it's one thing if you're inheriting land equipment um, uh, markets, right? You already have that relationship set up with that buyer. 
well, if you're new to it, now you have to sort of forge your own path and figure it out, maybe be a little bit more creative. And so, um, so those are all really interesting findings from from the last survey. Sure. On the org website, it lists here the, the top challenges from that survey. Number one, access to land, as you said. Number two was student loan debt. Number three was labor. And uh, number four was health insurance. The one with student mm-hmm. loan debt really stands out to me. And it, st- it stands I'm not surprised. I'm, I'm not surprised by that at all because you know what? If I was, <laughs> I still have student loan debt. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I'd be technically considered a young farmer anymore <laughs> since I'm just, I'm just, uh, north of 40, just north of 40. Um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that student loan debt is, uh, is, is definitely a big issue for, for not only young farmers, but a lot, a lot of young people. But, you know, if, if you turn that around, you know, it, it also shows me that, you know, one, um, there's a lot of highly educated people who are getting into farming now. And two, you know, it would seem to me that, that, that perhaps some of those people who went to college may have discovered farming or agriculture in college, and, you know, they might, they might have majored in something else, but then they end up on a farm. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, that is kind of what happened to me, right? I studied nutritional sciences as an undergraduate, and... Um, ended up working in research for a farmer's market and started to, and that was kind of the beginning of me edging closer and closer to actually knowing farmers, folks who are farming for a living um, and vending. And so that was, that got me curious. And so I started working on farms from there. Um, You know, I think part of it is also, so it's so cultural, right? It's like the expectation after high school is that you go to college Uh, And I wonder what it would look like if we created a little bit more space to think about um, what are some other vocations that would help people be able to support themselves, maybe some future families, if that's what they want to do, that don't require you to go to college. (laughs) The student student loan crisis is a national crisis. Um, It's not just affecting farmers, right? It's affecting so, so, so many people. Absolutely. And so, um, whereas originally we were sort of pushing for uh, some debt forgiveness as like a, a seeing farming as a public service, now we're really, we've joined a broader coalition that's saying like, this isn't just affecting farmers, this is affecting everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amount of student loans that people have to bear the burden of is is preventing them from doing anything else with their life Mm -hmm. and so i mean what are you going to do you're going to go to the farm service agency and get a loan no what if they see that you already have a bunch of student loans that's going that's going to slow down the process or prevent you in general and so um yeah it's it's definitely something it's one of our campaigns that we're working on sure 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 another thing that really surprised me and, and stood out to me is that um 60, more than 60% of the people who actually responded to the survey um, either said that they would eventually like to make or are already making sufficient income to meet their life goals, which tells me, you know, it really tells me that, that a lot of these people that are, a lot of these young farmers are, are highly optimistic. I mean, you have to be optimistic and maybe a little bit crazy, crazy <laughs> to get into farming. <laughs> right? yeah. um, I mean, especially with all of the the intense climate uh, events that we're seeing, 
in all different regions. So, you know, fire, wildfires in the West Coast, uh, droughts in the South, Southwest, um, you know, rising temperatures in the Northeast, it's affecting everybody. And so we can't really uh, rely on some sort of, I don't know, <laughs> steady stream of income. People are having to get really creative and, um, and just work a little bit harder to make a go of it, which is something that we're also taking a look at and, and something that we're learning more about through the survey um, just to get a sense of what, what is it that people are facing? What is that looking like? Sure, sure, sure. What, what's the average size of, of you know, from, from, from what you got in the survey, was there like an average size farm that you're able to pick out from that in terms of acres or in terms of, you know, in terms of uh, from a dollar standpoint? So the national average is 434 acres. Um, our survey average was 276 acres. Mm-hmm. So our farmers are tend to be operating on a smaller scale which makes sense, right? When we are looking at the, um, about how challenging it is to access land. We also saw that less than half of our farmers owned their land, um, about a third rented land only, and then about 20% rented and owned land. So we've got kind of a mix of, um, of how people are accessing their land. And, and we, are prioritizing helping people be able to get secure access. So that's kind of how we're talking about it. So whatever that looks like, if it's a longer term lease, that's great. Um, if it's ownership, you know, that's so, so there's just, just acknowledging that there are different avenues for people to be able to um, get on a piece of property, not be having, not having to be investing in infrastructure and building up their soil um, and then getting kicked off, right? <laughs> because sure. the landlord wants to do something else with it now. So. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. S- something that something that touches my heart because I am I am uh, I- I'm actually Puerto Rican. Um, something that really touches my heart in particular is uh, racial diversity within farming. And uh, you know, uh, people don't realize people don't realize. I think even in conventional farming, um, how racially diverse the business actually is between the people that actually work on the farms, and now increasingly people who are you know becoming owners of these farms. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, in relation to the last survey, because it it shows here that um, you know you are seeing, or at least according to the survey. Um, you're seeing that that the that the young farmer community is becoming more racially diverse. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because we get a lot of pushback from people saying that race doesn't matter in agriculture. Um, but that you know that doesn't hold up when I put on my public policy hat and we look at the historical barriers that uh, that farmers of color, so whether it's uh, native farmers whether it's black farmers have faced and, and all of the land security challenges that have come along with that. Um, and so, so I, you know, the data don't lie. <laughs> it, it, is, it is a barrier for people of color to be able to access uh, farming and to be able to, to do this for a living. So to your point, we are seeing that more and more of the younger farmers, this generation of farmers is more racially diverse. Um, And we wanna make sure that that continues to be the case. And in fact, that we can undo some of those historical harms that have existed 
Um, that's a complicated issue. It's a very complicated topic. And so uh, it's a big part of what we're working on. And so that's also part of the reason why, as I mentioned, we're looking to get responses from young and BIPOC farmers to to be able to to take to Washington and say, no, like if we break it down by race, if we break it down by ethnicity, like this is these are some unique challenges that black farmers are chase, are, are facing that maybe white farmers are not facing. Mm-hmm. And so how do we make sure that farming is an option for everybody, right? Not just folks who, again, have been able to inherit land or maybe have some family support. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't come down to that. Um, and then we also have a lot of farmers who are holding on to historic family land, right? Uh, especially in like in Texas, for example, we have a lot of farmers and ranchers who are, we have the number one, um, uh, we have the most black farmers in Texas than any other state. Mm-hmm. And so how do we make sure that there are transition plans? Um, how do we make it attractive for young people to go into agriculture um, and, right, and make it so that you don't have to be um, super idealistic and maybe a little bit loony to get into it. Sure. And that's not only, you know, and, and that's an issue with every farm. That's an issue with every farm that, you know, where, where, where there's multiple generations on there. You know, how do you, you know, those are those can be uncomfortable conversations. I mean, they, they, let's let's face it. I mean, you know, somebody who is, you know, is older and is, you know, close to retirement age, and I put that in quotes, retirement age, you know, and they're and they're looking to transition um, to to the next generation. You know, that's not exactly the most comfortable conversation because you're thinking about your own mortality. You know, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know, the simple fact that this is your business, and you're thinking about you know the the fact that something that you spent many years uh, building, you know, is is going to be out of your hands, and you have to let somebody else take care of it, even though it's your child. And you know, obviously, you care about your child, so you know that that's all around. That's a very challenging subject to to uh, to broach yeah well you know chris any conversation worth having is going to be a little bit uncomfortable whether we're talking about um, racial disparities in farming or we're talking about um, discrimination or we're talking about estate planning and uh and and transitional plans Mm -hmm. so um yeah right so how do we make it possible for people to feel like they they are equipped to have these conversations and and maybe make it a little bit less scary and and see it as a as a benefit right because like i don't know i'm only in my early 30s and i'm already tired so (laughs) and i'm not on the farm every day so um you know it's it's uh, we have to make sure that we're keeping an eye on what what our next plan is and unfortunately for a lot of farmers selling their land and business is their retirement plan. That's a problem. Yeah, sure. Because if you're selling it, you need to get market rate. Well, shoot, now you're looking around and you're like, who can afford this? And it's probably not going to be the young farmer down the road. That's right. right. Yep. Um, and so, and so those are, those are some of the complicated conversations that we're navigating and, and the policy solutions that we're fighting for. Sure. Labor and health insurance were the number three and number four top challenges. Um, you know, uh, no surprise to me that labor is a challenge. I mean, all across the board, um, you know, in farming, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, it, labor is, is a problem everywhere in farming. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and some specific, you know, labor needs that, that the young farmers are, are, are seeing or are saying that they're, that they're having? 
I am by no means an expert on labor and agriculture. I will say that it's another one of the uncomfortable conversations about how little farm employees are being paid. That's something that we're gathering information on now is for, for folks who are employees of farms. How much are they getting paid? Um, is it uh, biweekly? Is it a stipend? Is it, you know, for the season? What does that look like? Is that enough? Uh, because what we're seeing is that no, it's not enough. People who are working on farms are really struggling to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. And when rent prices keep going up, right? Um, and we have some apprenticeships where, you know, housing is part of your pay, but what if you don't want to live there? Now you're not actually making enough to cover your costs. And so that puts you in a kind of uniquely vulnerable position. Sure. Um, so, so we'll, I think we'll have more information and we'll be able to dig into that conversation a little bit more deeply as we go on. But I do want to share out um, a partner organization called Not Our Farm that is doing a lot of work on um, having conversations around what farm employees are being paid and making sure that it is a livable wage. Sure, sure, sure. And that gets back to a lot. Of, <laughs> that's a very complicated, that's another complicated uh, topic because that gets back to, you know, how much is the farmer getting paid? How much is the farmer, mm -hmm. you know, how much is the farmer making? How much are able to actually establish, you know, in terms of a market for their products? You know, that can be, that can be, um, that, that that's I know here in in uh, just north of me in New York State, you know they've had a lot of issues with you know they're 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 about to change their their overtime laws in New York State and you know mm -hmm. um, on the surface it, it's it's it sounds like a great idea to pay you know to to enable people who work on a farm to to make more money but you know when you when you talk to farmers about it you know it's it's going to be a struggle it's going to be a struggle because you know it's it's you know these farmers a lot of these farmers can't. Um, you know, they don't set the price, you know, in particular a dairy farm doesn't set the price for their milk, um, by and large. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a challenge. So it's, yeah. Uh, labor is, labor is an issue, you know, across agriculture, definitely. And then health insurance was the number four top challenge. Um, again, not a surprise. Um, you know, uh, Yes, we have we have uh, we have the ability, and it's improved over the years of people to actually, you know, uh, find health insurance, you know, through exchanges and all that sort of thing. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's gotten that much affordable. Totally, and well, because of the the marketplace and folks being able to access that much more easily, we actually have set that down as one of our priorities. Because now we're in a place where, um, so there was a point when we needed to make sure that that wasn't defunded or, or gotten rid of. And so that program now appears to be safe for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And so we're hoping to, uh, so we're, we're able to set that one down for now um, and haven't heard as many issues. Of course, it's not perfect, right? Of course, we can talk about health insurance especially in an industry like agriculture, where there is a higher rate of, um, of injury, where maybe people are being exposed to different um, chemicals or, or, you know, pesticides or whatever it may be, that could potentially have carcinogenic effects. But it's sort of at this moment, it's uh, a little bit more out of our wheelhouse. Sure, sure, sure. 
Well, these are really interesting topics. Um, everything, all these topics um, in this survey, and I did take a glance at the survey, you know, some really interesting questions and important questions. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, that a lot more people will will uh, sign up and uh, we'll take the survey and, and help you guys out because, uh, you know, just talking to you here, I mean, I, I learned a few things that I didn't even know about, um, some of the things that you're able to accomplish. So this survey does does make a difference. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And, you know, like I said, with with support, we can bring together 10,000 voices of working farmers, farm workers, former farmers, so that we can gather the data that we need to power our advocacy, because we're really pushing for a brighter future for young farmers. Like, right, we still, despite everything, are idealists over here at the National Young Farmers Coalition. Um, and so we're just going to keep pushing forward. Plus, as a thank you for um, everyone who takes the survey, completes it, so it goes all the way to the end, and provides us an email address, we have some pretty sweet prizes and giveaways. Uh, this is, I will mention, for U.S. residents only uh, because of the fact that our our policy work is focused on the U United States, like federal policy. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are giving away 25% discount for Carhartt for everyone who completes the survey and gives us a discount or and gives us their email address. In addition to 15% off muck boots. So that's for everybody. And then we're raffling off an avocado green mattress. So if anyone is looking at their mattress and going, I could use an upgrade, yeah. this is your opportunity. Um, we're also giving away $500 for, uh, for to Carhartt, $500 to Johnny's. Um, there's a Patagonia raffle for some, some coats uh, and very exciting we are giving away a farm all cub tractor oh, so you could cool. literally win a tractor just for spending you know up to 40 minutes on the survey so that's um so hopefully that that sweetens the deal um so for those those folks who are really interested in like the civic engagement and they want to be part of that policy change great um for folks who maybe just really need a new pair of overalls We've got that covered too. So, or if they want um, a vintage tractor, they can they can they can get that too. A functional vintage tractor, yes, definitely. Oh, that's awesome! So, once again, um, where can they actually where can they actually fill out the survey, and what is the deadline? So, you can go onto youngfarmers.org, and right on the front page, there's going to be a link to the survey. There's also all kinds of uh, additional information. If you have any other questions, we are very, very serious about data privacy and about keeping people's information safe. No individual information will be shared. This is really about the aggregate. Um, and the closing date is going to be March 27 at midnight Pacific Standard Time. Okay, great. Well, Carolina, Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. I really appreciate it, and good luck in getting many more people to, to take the survey. Thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate you reaching out, and um, yeah, thanks for helping us get to those 10,000 responses. And remember, the survey closes March 27th, so make sure your voice is heard the next Farm Bill negotiations. We will have a link to the survey as well as to the National Young Farmers Coalition website, on the episode page. 
Thanks for listening today, and we'll see you next time on the Young Farmer Podcast.